Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. And we are recording. Thank you, Bill, for doing your part. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't sure there. There was a little bit of silence at the beginning, which is always making me nervous. So we are back again. And that's Bill Sutton at the controls. And how you doing, Bill? Good, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And also with us is Catherine G. Manu. Looks like she's in her car again today. Hey, Georgie. How are you? Hey, Annette. I'm good. I'm Catherine Manu, sometimes known as Georgie, and I'm one of the publishers of the Express News Group. And are you in your car at the beach? I am in my car at the beach. Okay. So is this a work day or a beach day for you? It's a work day, but my my home office is currently being occupied by somebody else. So I needed to get somewhere quiet so that I could record for you guys. So I just drove down to the beach. What dedication. Nice. So also here is Joe Shaw with a new kitty that he has, Molly Bloom. Hi, Joe and Molly. A new kitty and neighbors who have just now decided to mow their lawn. So uh, I'm going to be muting myself quite a bit. Hi, I'm Joe Shaw, I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And yes, I'm cuddling Molly, our new kitten who we just adopted yesterday from the animal shelter. Aww. He's very happy. She's adorable. She looks very well adjusted. And my name's Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. Um, it does also seem like as soon as we start recording, all of the noises start, the leaf blowers and the the drilling and the phone. So um, we're going to hopefully avoid all that. Uh, but also joining us today are a couple very interesting guests, and um, one of which is Robert Challoner. Bob Challoner is the Chief Administrative Officer of Stony Brook Southampton Hospital. Hiya, Bob. How are you? Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm waiting for, I've listened to your podcast in the past, the crazy crows in the background that usually start chiming in. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fall sound effect. You're going to have to wait until they, I haven't, I haven't heard any crows in a while, so I will, uh, I will record them the next time they fly over just so you'll have them. Um, and also with us today is Catherine Zoka and Catherine is a co-owner of Kanio's Books in Sag Harbor. Hi, Catherine. Hello, everybody. It's great to be here. And uh, I have big trucks driving down Main Street because I'm in the bookstore right now. So that's my background noise for this morning. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you both with us today. And we thought it would be interesting to talk about an event that happened a few weeks ago here on the East End. And that was the very first gay pride parade, LGBTQ parade that East Hampton Village hosted down Main Street and Newtown Lane. And the two of you were the grand marshals of the very first inaugural parade. That's right. That's right. As I said, when we started, it was a short ride that took a very, very long time to happen. So it looked like you were both having fun because I, I saw the two of you go by and it looked like you were having a very good time. I actually, uh, I've never done anything like be a grand marshal before. And my husband, Oscar, said to me at one point afterwards, Bob, you're having way too much fun with this. So I, yes, I was having fun with it. It was tr truly an honor to be asked and an honor to ride with Catherine also. So I thought it would be interesting to talk about where we've come. And, you know, I know that a lot of the gay lifestyle was down around the swamp, which was the bar down in Wainscott, which is no longer there. And I think it's ironic that it's no longer there because of probably the reason it's no longer there is that you don't have to go to a single place anymore. Bob, I know you've been out here on the East End for a while and Catherine, you've been out here for quite a bit longer. And I just wondered, 
what you've seen in terms of attitudes toward the LGBTQ community change out here and, and the evolution, you know, and, and maybe a little bit of the, even the history and how things were when you first came out here and how maybe you've seen them evolved in your time here? Well, that's a, that's a lot. Let me just, let me just say that's a lot to ask. Um, and so let me try to address part of that. Uh, for myself at the time that I came out, which I mentioned when I spoke afterward, was the 80s. Um, and, and that was a time of great contradiction. Um, so, and even to step back further, I mean, I was raised in a conservative Catholic family. And if you had told my you know, young adult self that I would have been the gay marshal, uh, a, a, a marshal in a gay pride parade, um, I would have, number one, never believed you. And number two, would have said, you know, what, what is gay pride? It's an oxymoron. Because when I came out, pride was not a word you associated with being gay. Shame was the word you associated mm -hmm. with it. So coming out to the East End when I did in the like the mid 80s, Ego was a presence here, the East End Gay Organization. And, you know, Adam Grossman, who's still here, was one of the leaders of Ego. And I just want to give a shout out to him for doing that. And there were other people, too. And I, so I don't mean to and I'm not going to name any more names because I'm going to leave people out. And they're not going to be pleased with it. But Ego, as an organization, would send out their mailers, but they'd have no return address hmm. in, a, in, a, in, a, in an envelope because they feared retribution. So it was it. So it was a time when in the 80s, there was a bit of a coming out. There was a bit of a thawing of the, the true, um, you know, hatred that you might be uh, receive. Uh, but then there was also the AIDS crisis. So there was this kind of really um, a contradiction of times. But really, because things had opened up a little bit after Stonewall, which was, I think, in the late 60s, uh, there was a sense of like, now we can kind of come out, we can come out of the dark bars, we can come out into the, into the sunlight. And then we got smacked with the AIDS crisis. And, and, and that, that emboldenedness that we felt early on really triggered a generation of activists, uh, you know, the ACT UP organizations, which wasn't, uh, that, that was more in the city, I think that they were more visible. Uh, but but I think the people from the city came out here so that there was that sensibility here, that there was the sense of, you know, ownership of our rights. And uh, so it, it laid the groundwork for great strides, I think, in, um, you know, in our community going forward into the 90s. And of course, now we're in a period of, you know, another backlash. Uh, but, you know, just into some that particular section, ego is really important out here. It brought people together. Um, the attic, which uh, is not often mentioned, was a, a place where there was like actually afternoon tea dances. So you could see people during during sunlight, which was, you know, like a revolution. Um, and there, there was a strong community. Um, you know, when you get, when you're pushed to the margins, you, you, you're, you huddle together closely with people and it, it, it really builds uh, spirit. It builds community. And even though there's adversity, there's really a sense of um, of, of community and camaraderie that is uh, that, that's special and was special. You know, 
my my own personal experience out here and being out and gay has um, been this is a community that's very accepting and I think we're lucky to be be in that situation. I have had some personal experiences that were not so great um, and uh, some comments that were made, but not to the level where I felt unsafe or or, or rejected. In general, I think this community we're lucky to to live where we do and uh, and it is safe. That being said, um, everybody that um, has to come out, um, and that's kind of a unique experience for people who are LGBTQ, um, uh, you know, this isn't something about us that's immediately apparent, um, you know, that someone would look at me and not necessarily guess I'm a gay guy. Um, and it's something I have to, I have to tell people at some point, or it'll come up in a conversation and you have these awkward moments where somebody starts asking you about your wife and you have to say, no, I have a, I have a husband. And fortunately, certainly out here, 99% of the time, um, that, that goes over well. Um, there is that, that, that moment that we all need to be kind of just take a deep breath and see where it goes from here after we've revealed that about ourselves, And it's a pretty personal thing when you think about it's our sexual preference, which really most people aren't talking about their, their sexual preference. Um, and, uh, and it, it happens all the time. Um, you know, I had to, I, I, I have children. I had to come out to my children. I had to come out to my ex-wife, my family, and uh, my friends, and, and and work. And work is a tough environment because work is especially a place where people don't talk about their their sexual preference. But at work, people say, "Hey, why don't you and your wife come over for dinner tonight?" And then you do have to have this discussion. Um, one of the reasons why I was so happy to be in the parade, and I've realized I think it's important for those of us that have done it and are comfortable with it to come out because even though the society is much more accepting, um, young people are still coming of age and realizing that they're, that they're, they're, uh, they're different um, in whatever way. And um, I'm hopeful that our examples provide them the courage to, to go ahead and do it and to, to feel so proud about their own, uh, their own selves and the, the beauty that they bring and the uniqueness that they bring and, and not to be afraid and realize that, uh, that we've all done this and been able to, to get through it. Um, so I think that's why this, uh, things like the pride parade are so important because even though our community may be accepting, there are thousands of people in our community struggling with this coming out process and we can provide them with that, with that courage by our own example. I think, you know, as Bob pointed out, it, it is it is dependent on the community that you live in. And that community, of course, starts with your with your parents and your home environment. And if there's an acceptance there, then I think that, that um, you know, that mitigates any shame. But, you know, whenever you realize that you are not in the majority, there is, you know, sort of this inner. Um, conscience that you know pricks at you like what will my parents think what will my friends think so um you know it's hard for me to really uh, directly answer that but when i read of the difficulties that our lgbtq youth and especially our trans youth have it, it seems like there is still that um there is still that uh 
that step that needs to be taken. And as Bob pointed out, that's why it's good to see people who have kind of gone through all of that and, and thrived, you know, that have, you know, good lives, good jobs, um, contribute to the community, are respected by the community. It's a powerful symbol. And it also reminds me of a campaign that I think happened in the early 2000s of It Gets Better. Uh, and that was a campaign that was done by uh, one of the gay organizations in the city. And it was really targeted towards youth because of the high suicide rate. And it was just a way for you know young people to realize that it's tough now, but it will get better. And so um, I guess, knowing that that happened relatively recently and knowing what's happening now in our country, um, I think that kids have, have a challenge. And, you know, not every family embraces the, the, um, the fact that their child might be a member of the LGBTQ community. So we have to be able to show that people have a place to go to that will be supportive, even if it's not necessarily their family. We, we hope it's their family. Um, but we can't necessarily always assume that it will be. I think that Catherine's absolutely right. I think it's not universal. I, I do yeah. think that there's work that needs to be done because it's not. I, I've known young people and friends, frankly, who struggled with their with their child uh, not being straight. And um, uh, my own personal story was my parents wouldn't talk to me for five years when I came out, basically told me I was I was no longer a part of the family. Eventually they came around. And uh, but the um, there are young people still that I know of um, whose families have had very, very strong and, and negative reaction. And for a kid, you know, what do you want more than anything else? You want the love of family. And if that suddenly is uh, pulled away or you're maybe it won't be pulled away, but you're afraid it's going to be pulled away. Um, I think that that can that can create lots of problems. That's why we see very high um, suicide rates relative to the rest of the population in, in LGBTQ youth because of that 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 rejection. And that's a, those numbers are still higher than the average population. Um, it's one of the reasons why we started this uh, Edie Windsor Health Center is to to make people know this is a place they can come talk and. Uh, um, and I also just doubling back to the question about the bars. Um, my own take on it is that um, I think the bars are going to continue. I mean, different people, some people like bars, some don't. Um, but it's, it is a place where LGBTQ people can get together and know that they're in a room full of everybody else who's been with that experience and nobody's going to be uh, questioning. And I, I've asked myself, because I came out here after the swamp closed, why there isn't a bar out here. And what I've heard also a big factor was it's just the demographic. Younger people tend to go to bars and it's a, it's a population because of the living expense and everything else out here that tends to be, I think, an older LGBTQ community. And we're less likely to have the, the energy or fortitude to go sit in the bar until 12 o'clock at night. Um, I know I don't have that fortitude anymore. Oh, come on, Bob, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> so there really isn't an LGBTQ bar out here per se then at this point. Is that right? There's some gatherings that Almond does a thing on Friday night, uh, the restaurant. There's a um, there's a group that formed a while ago called Glam Gays and Lesbians at the Maidstone, which uh, was at the Maidstone uh, bar in, in East Hampton. They've moved to different locations. So there are 
there are some opportunities, but there is there is not a per se gay bar. It's interesting. I was in Stockholm, Sweden, a number of years ago, and uh, somebody said there are no bars, and I asked why, and they said uh, it's not because of. Uh, they said it's because it's so accepted that you don't need to go to a gay bar anymore. Um, although a gay person I met over there said that they missed the fact that there wasn't a gay bar. So I think we're at this funny point in in very accepting communities like this where do we need it or not? So, yeah. you know, I'm intrigued. There've been a couple of stories lately about, um, and I, I've seen different numbers, so I'm not going to even cite numbers, but the number of young people who identify as LGBTQ is at record numbers. Um, I'm intrigued by how to interpret that. My assumption is that it's just that more young people feel comfortable with that identification and, and acknowledging that. Um, but I wonder what's at, what's at work here is, is, is this, was this a hidden population for years and years that just, or, or, or is this a, a self-awareness that didn't exist five years ago? How, how do we interpret the fact that more young people seem to be uh, willing to embrace the LGBTQ uh, life, you know, identifying, self-identifying that way? We've done, in healthcare, certainly we've done some work around this, and uh, there's, it's not as people think that there's like an epidemic of people becoming LGBTQ, the population, people were always in this, <laughs> people were always there. Yeah, I know, that's the fear, and sometimes, unfortunately, that's the propaganda, yeah. the anti-LGBTQ propaganda. <laughs> Um, but it's the, the population was always here. I mean, I spent most of my, uh, you know, I spent my entire childhood and uh, teenage years right through right up until I was 40 hidden, frankly. Um, and there's still a significant number of people um, that if they felt comfortable would would come out. So it's I think one is it's uh, it's a more comfortable environment. So people are definitely coming out of the closet in greater numbers. The other thing is it used to be you were gay, lesbian or straight. Um, and we're realizing that there's this whole continuum of other identities, um, you know, queer, uh, somebody who's non-binary, somebody who is um, uh, transgender, um, and that community's really had the hardest time. Um, but um, identities that people always knew I was different, but they didn't fit into one of the traditional categories. Now I think what we're doing is we're recognizing that there are these other categories that people can now say I'm in. So, and that encompasses more of the population than I think we ever realized. We just never, we never know how to categorize. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. You know, if I could hop in 
if I could just hop in on that, you know, I agree with Bob and also putting my literary hat on. I mean, come on, how many of you have read Slaughterhouse-Five, right? Kurt Vonnegut. And, uh, you know, he riffs on the fact that there's at least 22 different, uh, you know, sexes, you know, out there or, 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 or categories to identify at. Go back to the Greeks. I mean, we have always had uh, as human in our human nature, you know, a fluidity of sexuality. And, and, and as our culture, I think, tries to force people even further into either being very feminine or very masculine, um, there's been an, an eruption of people that's saying, heck, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm, I'm somewhere else. I, you know, let's embrace the rich, you know, diversity that we have in this continuum so that you can be, you know, you don't have to be one specific thing. And I, I think it's great that young teens are coming out as either queer or non-binary or trans. I think that they're, they're really listening to their own inner voice. And as Bob indicated, you know, that was something that was really almost impossible to go to, you know, until today. And the reason we can go there now, I'm just going to go back to ACT UP and what they did in the 80s and the 90s, because they paved a path that said, you know, we're here, we're queer, get used to it. And so people had to pay attention to the fact, to that fact. And of course, so many, so many families lost people during the AIDS crisis. And, you know, you know, I don't want to go there, but the fact that they suddenly had to re reckon with the fact that their son who never came out to them was gay at, at 20 or 30, you know, it, it, it revolutionized the way our, our, our consciousness surrounding this in, in the general population. And so it opened up that for younger people to come out. In high school, it would have been really difficult. I was not out in high school. It would have been extraordinarily difficult for me to have to have done that. And um, so I'm thrilled that younger people are, that there's GSAs, you know, now, uh, Gay Student Alliances at schools. That's, that's fantastic. And I just want to give a shout out right now to Tom House, who is an educator at Bridgehampton and who created Hampton Pride, which actually uh, sponsored the parade uh, because... They're, they're they're giving the young people a place to feel safe in the school system, and and that is that means so so very much when you're when you're that when you're that age. I think also you know there's been I have a 13 year old daughter, and you know a lot of the pop culture icons that she um, is gravitating towards are gender fluid, and you know and there's so I think that that has given youth a confidence because it's so prevalent in pop culture now as well and in television. And, you know, we just had, I believe she, uh, Ariana DeBose was the first out woman to win the Academy Award that just happened. And so I think that that like supports youth as well because it's such a mainstream part of their society. Um, and that's who my 13 year old is identifying with. And, you know, that's exciting because it definitely, you know, I'm 42, and it wasn't like that when I was 13. Also, I think in um, why pride is so important, because it's, um, it's the chance for people in all walks of life to come out and say, this is, this is part of who I am. And, uh, and I'm still, I'm still able to hold a job and have a normal life. And, and even in, in popular media and culture, I mean, it used to be the gay guy in the movie was always, uh, 
either evil or committing suicide halfway through the movie and to see, you know, happy, funny people even raising families in, in the media. Um, we need these examples. And that's why I think pride is so important because it's, uh, you know, we need our kids to feel, grow up and feel safe and just be able to express the beautiful people that they are and not end up killing themselves because what a loss that is to society. So Bob, I, was, I wondered if you wanted to talk about when you first came out to the East End and, um, and sort of what your thoughts were. Were you nervous about relocating from New York City to this far east end of Long Island, were you unsure about how um, how you would be received as a, as a gay man and your and your husband? And, and just wondered, you know, what year that was that you came out, and what your memories were of that time when you first came out here. Yeah, I I have to admit that I kind of went back into the closet a little bit when I first came out here. I came out here married, um, uh, not married. It wasn't legal at that point, but Oscar and I uh, came out together. And um, uh, I was fully out to my family, friends, my last job, and I was out to the board members, um, but I didn't know how I was going to be treated and uh, was a little, not that I denied anything, or, uh, but I was, uh, I was nervous about what kind of reaction I might get because it's definitely different than New York City. It felt like going back to my small town in upstate New York, which was not. When was that, Bob? The end of 2006, December 2006. So, I mean, it was fairly recent. I mean, you know, I, I, just to point that out, that, you know, this wasn't this wasn't 30 years ago. This was, you know. Right. And it was my own probably internal fears that uh, caused me just uh, I wasn't out there first thing telling people, hey, I'm Bob, I'm the new administrator and I'm gay. If anything, I was avoiding a discussion of it. Um, very quickly, you know, word spreads, people would see me and Oscar together and, uh, you know, and it happened very, you know, naturally and quietly. And I have to say, I've never experienced, uh, uh, anything, uh, bad in this community. And this is a wonderful community to live in. And I feel very, very, very accepted and lucky to live here, quite frankly. Um, and, uh, but it's, you know, I think it's something that gay people do, even when we travel sometimes, if we go, you know, it's why a lot of people congregate in San Francisco and New York, because we know we're going to be safe there. We don't need to worry about it. But, you know, if we go certain places, you, you worry, do I, what do I tell the hotel clerk? Or there is still that sense. And I think younger people are kind of leading the charge. They're a little braver, but certainly my generation has a natural, oh, let's not Let's not talk about that first because we don't know how we're going to get uh, treated. And there are places where it's unsafe to be uh, to be gay. So there is a uh, there is a, there are real safety issues. You know, I, I wanted to point out, Bob, you had mentioned the Edie Windsor Center at the hospital, which um, I think is amazing. And it, it's a chance to sort of tell an anecdote that I'm a little sheepish about it, quite frankly. But I, I wasn't aware for the longest time of the role that the East End played in, you know, the gay community getting the rights that it has. And I remember we, I discovered the Edie Windsor story well after the fact when I should have been aware. I had no idea that there was a connection to our local community. And when we did find it, we did a story immediately to do it, but it was years after we probably should have done it. But this region um, and, and Edie Windsor and her court case, which of course was was very important in, in overturning the, uh, the uh, Defense of Marriage Act, uh, 
I mean, this region played a, a big role in in uh, gay rights and, and in same-sex marriage and, and, and all of that. And I'm not sure a lot of people were aware of it. And I'm kind of ashamed to say that I wasn't aware of it until we finally did that story. And I hope we sort of helped to spread the word a little bit. Oh, I, I think you did, and we appreciate it. Uh, and it's a center that we've created now to really make people, uh, all LGBTQ+, plus, anyone actually can go there and just feel safe in that, that their, uh, their gender identity or gender expression should not be something that stops them from seeking good health care. There's another woman, Rose Walton, out here who uh, was a member of the group that Catherine talked about, Ego, and she led the, the HIV health care um, on the East End. And we're very fortunate that our center is the Edie Windsor Healthcare Center with the Rose Walton HIV um, services and uh, Catherine, the group ego that she described and was a member of was actually uh, was was leaders in that cause. This is Catherine Manu, and I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses. But we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe, please visit 27east.com slash subscribe. And thank you for your support. Catherine, you you brought up the the AIDS crisis a couple times, and and we're talking about the HIV Center just now. And there were so many tragedies during that time, and I don't want to minimize that. But at the same time, it did bring the LGBTQ community together in support of not only people who were suffering with AIDS, but as a political arm to fight against the, the misinformation that was present at the time and the discrimination that was present at the time because of that. And then I guess as a sidebar to that, I'm wondering, you talked about, so after Stonewall, there there was this happy pride. I'm wondering how the AIDS crisis both supported the LGBT communities moving forward, but also may have prevented some people because of, of, of all the, the politics that was surrounding it from coming out or becoming part of that community. If that's a two-part question, I'm sorry if it was a little rambly. No, that's okay. That's uh, that, there's a lot there, so I'll try to try to unpack it. Um, happy Pride. I, I guess I would not use that term, um, but what I what I see now with the um, advantage of distance from and time is that you know Stonewall was really a big revolution in in the gay community, and it was a time for gay people to stand up and basically say we're not going to take it any longer. And so I guess, you know, and let's say the late 60s, as we've all read about and know, time of great tumult, you know, societal tumult and and the gay um, liberation movement was right in on that. Um, And so it it allowed, like when I did come out in like the late 70s, um, there was a little more openness to in the community, I mean, I came at it in the DC area, not in a small town, so that that is a huge difference. But there was a little more um, 
openness. And I, I spoke at the parade about how the first Pride event that I went to was like in the middle of the day on the Peace Street Beach in D.C. And, you know, I was, there two things struck me. You know, number one was the fact that there were so many gay people there. And number two, that we were all there during daylight. So um, I would say that it, there was a sense of a, you know, like a window opening. And that was the late 70s. But then within a few years, that window got shut down because of the AIDS crisis. Um, and so I would say, Bill, to kind of like um, add to what you the question that you asked is that there was a, always a strong sense of community in in the LGBTQ um, community. I mean, people really we were forced to be, you know, in, in, in bars together and people of all different demographics, all different uh, diverse backgrounds. And, and that was a, that was a that was a, a like a silver lining to the whole thing. Number one. Um, and number two, having to then deal with the AIDS crisis really on our own, because Reagan essentially gave nothing to um, any kind of aid, at least for quite some time. In fact, even spoke of quarantining gays. Um, you know, the fact that we were already together, linked together, allowed us to come together to support each other. And, you know, my gosh, you know, we don't want to go to what people had to go through during that time. Um, but I do believe that having to deal with that crisis created ACT UP, uh, ACT UP created the, uh, you know, the, the big political push for gay marriage and, and, and then gay marriage, you know, it just opened up the culture a lot because people just became so aware of the fact that gay people were out there, <laughs> whereas before, you know, it was easy to, um, to not know them and it was easy for us to blend. I mean, a, a friend who received an award when I was acknowledged as well spoke about how she would talk in her office space about her boyfriend. You know, there was codes. There was codes. You, you couldn't. And, and this goes to what Bob was saying. You know, you, you couldn't say, you know, I'm going to, you know, Marianne and I are doing this. You would be, um, well, Mark and I are going to do this. Yeah. Anyway, it's, I'm kind of rambling. I'm not sure if I'm actually getting at the, uh, answering what you were asking, Bill, so please let me know. It's articulate rambling, though, I have to say, yes. Articulate rambling. But I want to um, talk a little bit about who Edie Windsor was, just for people who may not know. So Edie Windsor and her wife, Thea, were married, I believe, in Canada. And then you know they were an older couple. And then when Thea died, New York State slapped Edie Windsor with a huge tax bill, an inheritance bill for her property. Um, I believe it was in, in, South, in Southampton was, was where one of the properties was. The other one's, I think, in New York City, saying that she owed this huge inheritance tax. Because she wasn't a direct. Because they weren't legally married, quote unquote. But they had been married in Canada, so that should have been a spousal situation where she was not liable for that tax. So Edie Windsor sued and it ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court and, um, and it was found in Edie's favor. And that's how gay marriage really became legal. But I, I don't know. It's like, you know, now we see what's happening in the Supreme Court and um, Roe v. Wade is now under threat. And, and some people say that this is sort of the slippery slope that may seek to reverse that decision on gay marriage. So what do we think about what's happening off of the East End and in other states and in down in Washington, D.C. in the Supreme Court? Wow, that's a silent answer. <laughs> 
You want me to hop in? I can I can hop in here on this. As a political activist, you know, I think you've you you, you um, you're hitting on something that's really important in that, and that is, I mean, with any civil rights uh, struggles, it's always like one step forward, one step backwards. And, you know, we happen, you know, our lives are so short in the overall arc of, of, of time, let's say. And so, you know, we feel that because we gained all these rights, um, you know, in the last, let's say, 20 years, that that's just the way it's going to be. But, you know, history tells us that that is never the case, right? That, that you, rights are gained and then they're taken back. And I, I think we're in a moment when rights are being taken back. I mean, Roe, um, is going to be lost. I, I just think there's just no way around that. And we also know that the people who, you know, I, I just want to step back and say the whole issue for me regarding the LGBT community is it's motivated by love, right? It's who, who you love. I mean, and it's motivated by empathy, having, being able being prejudiced against being able at least to have the potential to be empathetic towards other groups. But on the other side of that, there's a great deal of fear that we are having to um, counter, counteract. And so the, the fear, you know, basically wants to control women. Okay, now they'll control Roe. And it's possible that they will look at gay marriage. So I think everything is on the table with the courts coming up. And we just really need to be, um, to be aware of that. Uh, look at what happened last week in Idaho at the Pride March, where the police arrested a... Um, I don't know, a big truck full of, 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 of folks from a, you know, a right-wing organization that were looking to go to disrupt the Pride Parade. So there clearly are people around the country, for whatever reason, whether it's to control issues, to control people, um, want, to, want to pass laws or, or want to discriminate, you know, don't say gay in Florida against us. Um, that's there and we have to continue to just present ourselves mm -hmm. um and say no we're, we're on the side of love we're on the side of acceptance so um but it's it's going to be it's going to be a struggle and um and we're here for it I heard and I, I wish i could remember the name but i just heard on the radio the other day a commentator and I, he said that democracy isn't a, a noun it's a verb meaning it's something we work at constantly and um we can't assume, um, and I think that that's, that's absolutely the case, and our country has moved forward in fits and starts, and hopefully will continue to move forward. Um, more, more starts than fits, hopefully. Uh, you know, you were both the, the grand marshals of the local parade, and pardon the tortured analogy here, but along this, this point, if you're climbing a mountain you know, you, you make a certain amount of progress and you drive a, a stake in and you attach your safety cord to it in case you slip backwards and you go up a little higher and you put a new peg in that you attach the safety cord to. I wonder if events like this, the one that you were Grand Marshal of, is sort of like that safety peg that it's, that it's you've got to constantly be actively trying not you, that slip back is inevitable in rights that you're gonna you're going to have as as Catherine said you know two steps forward one step back, but having that visibility and and taking that message out there in a very public way is sort of it sort of has a, a benefit in that it can stop the slide back a little bit. Am I am I right about that? 
I think you're absolutely right, Joe. And I think that the, the, the community that I take the most inspiration from is the African-American community, which has been a hundred years of really horrific uh, fits and starts. And um, yet they have continued to endure um, and struggle, quite frankly. And I think that they, they can be an inspiration to, to, to everybody. And I think you're notion of that putting that peg a little higher and let's keep fighting for that and if we slip back let's fight get to get back where we are and i think uh we've seen progress and um and i believe we will if everybody if everybody is uh is strong and together and and uh and proud quite frankly and that's why that's why proud is needed i i, I hope we never get become so afraid again that we ho- we go back into the into the closets um because that's that's when we really will start to slip back so we can celebrate not only gay pride month but also juneteenth which is in june as well so yeah i would just like to uh, weigh in and you know echo what bob said and i mean the you know the 400 year struggle of african americans in our country uh, has been, I think, is a great example of how how difficult it is to set that peg higher. It's it's really difficult because you know the the, the opposite side is always working at ways to to, to keep that peg lower along the mountainside. Um, and I, I and, and in saying this, I don't in any way, shape, or form want to equate the struggle of the of the uh, LGBT community with the struggle of African Americans. I think that they're, um, you know, that we benefit greatly by our, uh, I in particular benefit greatly as a, as a white person. Um, so I just want to put that out there that I don't really see the two. It's a complicated conversation, but I don't necessarily uh, equate them. Um, that being said, um, I guess as Sisyphus rolls the rock up and the rock rolls down, I think we also have to be careful that we're in a complex universe and the political leg of the chair that that universe rests on is in a more dire state than we've been in in a long time. And so that, you know, as as a country of rules of law, you know, rights may be taken away from us in the law. So we just have to keep that in mind as, as we, as we go forward. And uh, there was another point that I was going to make and, Oh, how can I forget this? In a country of laws, in, in elections, I just want to put in a huge plug for people to vote. It is so, so very important for people to get out and vote. And I know that young people often feel that their vote doesn't matter. And I just want to say it, it does, it, it does, it does register and be sure to vote. There's a primary coming up in the um, next week. So you can, if you're registered in, either in, in the Democratic Party or Republican Party, you can vote. And then in November, it really will make a difference to rights of all marginalized groups going forward. Another reason why I think pride is so important, it's, um, you know, and I've heard people say, why do they need to be so visible? Well, when we're voting, we need to be visible just to let the politicians know we're here and we are voting. So, so there you go. Get out and vote, too. You know, the one thing I will actually add to that is people say, why did it take so long for a pride parade to happen out here? And I think part of the reason was in the earlier uh, days, there were very few uh, pride marches and that a lot of people from the East End would go into the city to support that particular um, event. So that I I think is one reason why, and it wasn't until like maybe about 10 or 15 years ago that more parades started um, in, in smaller communities. Uh, That being said with the big gay community out here, it is surprising that we didn't have a parade 
earlier, but now that we do, we will have it every year. And Peter Van Squeak from East Hampton said that they will paint um, a rainbow flag stripe down the road for the next Pride event next year. So that'll be nice. And I guess it's the village mayor that also needs to do that. So they, I don't want to give only Peter credit for that. So the, the East Hampton village mayor too. Yeah. Jerry Larson. Jerry. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So thank them both. You actually instrumental in getting this parade off the ground, which was quite a, uh, it was actually very gratifying to see. We have wonderful uh, elected officials out here across the board. And it was really great to see all of them uh, out there and, and supporting this. And it, I, I worried a little bit as I was riding. I wondered if we'd see any protests or anything. I didn't see a single one. I don't know if you did, Catherine, but I didn't see a single one. And it just uh, made, made me feel good about my own uh, coming out. It made me feel great about being gay, quite frankly. And it made me feel really good about our community out here. Oh, me. We've got something to build on and provide a wonderful example for everyone else. Great to see a big youth turnout too, you know, at the parade, you know, that was really exciting. That was wonderful. I saw a little boy sidewalk. He had had a hand-drawn uh, rainbow, and he was just standing there holding it up. And that was really striking to see this this kid sitting there by himself doing that. Um, you know, and it's uh, it's some of those images I think are are, are very. Uh, those are what make me hopeful. Coming off of what Bob just said, it was really a very joyful experience. The Pride Parade, and everybody was just full of you know, good spirit, goodwill. And that's really what struck me in a way um, that was touching, it was really very touching. And this community's embrace of the uh, of the parade and, and to see all the young people there. Hey, and, and a shout out to the Germaniacs. They were great. The Hampton Bays GSA. I mean, you know, Ross School, um, really wonderful. And of course, the queer farmers. We can't forget the queer <laughs> farmers. They were, <laughs> they were They've good. had an awesome. Well, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a lot, they, did. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's good. To, <laughs> good to be joyful. We need music next year. That's yeah. the the the. Yeah, that's um, a good idea. Right. But I, I I want to personally shout out to Tom House the work that he did. And Tom was a bartender at the Swamp for a long time um, and became a little bit of a known figure in the in the gay community out here through that. And now as a uh, teacher in the uh, Bridgehampton schools and. Uh, um, has really taken on the crusade of creating this organization, Hampton Pride, to sort of elevate the awareness of the of the LGBTQ community out here, and and uh, you know did some work dedicating a site at the park, and now also this Pride Parade. And uh, he's he's he, we owe a lot of thanks to Tom for his his effort and the, and the group of people that he assembled. Yeah, Tom was, uh, you know, Tom decided to, to start Hampton Pride a little over a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, last Gay Pride Month, um, he put a call out to his friends to just meet at the park where the swamp was. And so about five of us showed up. So it was kind of a nice, small little group. But who knew then that we would have a thousand people at, at the Gay Pride March today? And so I think the group is going to expand. I think um, I have a personal interest in, in really archiving the history of the community out here and I think he has some people on his um, in his circle that are archivists so I think that that's going to happen. So Bob I still want to try on your sash. You're welcome to any time you want in there. 
Tom actually, when he told me about it, he said, you know, we're, we've, we've got sashes for you. And he sent me a picture. He said, it's it's uh, it's it's hot pink and has your name on it. It says Graham Marshall. He says, you don't need to wear it if you don't want to. I said, are you crazy? I'm never going to get anything off. So. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. Get one of those. So Just wear it with pride. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.